Hello, audio-only listener. Just a quick disclaimer before we get started. This is a recording of a live podcast episode that aired live on YouTube. We usually go live at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Wednesdays. That being said, we may be making references to things that can only be seen on screen. Don't worry, you're not going to miss out on any information because of this. Just some things may not make sense because we're making a reference to something that is on screen. And with that out of the way, thank you so much for joining us, and enjoy the episode. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode tonight. It is Wednesday the 10th, and we are talking about baptism by fire. Uh, and I'm your host, yours truly, Seamus. Uh, we're here with my compatriot, as always. That would be Brad. Um <laughs> And uh, we got a, a crazy kind of episode, a fairly simple topic, but we got a lot to go through. So uh, once again, everybody get ready, uh, grab all your drinks if you're joining us. This is Killing the Church. So first and foremost, we would like to have a special uh, thanks, shout out to our top tier heretics. Uh, Atamadim and our scholars, our two uh, highest tiers that we offer on the Patreon. Uh, Patreon, Patreon, yes. Uh, so thank you to everybody here on this list, uh, and a, a, a very special thanks this week. Actually, um, we uh, have a little bit of an announcement. Um, it's not approved yet; it's in the works. Uh, but we've officially applied for a as a nonprofit organization status. Now, yes. for those of you who don't know. It's actually really expensive to make that application. So uh, thank you so much for your guys' generous donations. And uh, God willing, when we get our uh, uh, status approved, every dono donation made from this uh, moving forward, from this point forward, will be a tax-deductible donation. Yes. Um, so uh, yeah, so uh, big moves are in the making, and it's all thanks to you guys and your generosity. So may Hashem bless you abundantly for your generosity. Really, really can't thank you guys enough. Um, you guys are really like bringing it all together. It's all, all thanks to your guys' support. Um, and even if you're not a Patreon uh, or you're giving at the $1, if you're not and you're subscribed to the channel, you're still helping us out in a really big way. And if you're not already, you should like this video, hit the subscribe button. We really appreciate That's the easiest way to support the channel and it really helps us grow no matter what. Um, and so uh, all of that I think is now kind of out of the way. I think you guys have had enough time to read the names. <laughs> <laughs> um you guys you guys rock once again thank you again and uh more about the patreon after the show when we talk about the after parties so sir what are you drinking tonight <laughs> ah tonight so i decided to polish off a little something that i started a few weeks ago uh which was the private episode which was about private things. And so it, it didn't get aired and a lot of people didn't get to see this, but I am polishing off a bottle Ooh. of mead. Nice. Yep. And uh, this is, I'm not even going to begin to try and pronounce this Icelandic word, um, but <laughs> it is Nordic caraway honey wine with natural flavor added. So mm. it's yeah. Viking. That's what it is. That's all that matters. Yep. Uh, I'm just having some Porch Rocker Pilsner uh, tonight because I want to sport once again our uh, alternate media preparing the way glass with the hard drinks for hard theology written on the back here. 
Um, <laughs> and the website is up, by the way, for those of you who've been wondering, uh, or maybe you haven't been wondering and you don't care, whatever, the website is up and we have merchandise on that website. Once again, the uh, another easy way to help support the channel. And um, uh, all of our articles and everything are, are going there too as well. And Alternate Media Kids or Alternate Kids, I think is what we're calling it is also uh based off of that website so um yeah if you're looking for some like it's part as time shirts or some some uh pints for your drinks uh, we got some really cool shirts up there actually there's a couple that i want to get <laughs> yeah yeah we got a, a brand new one up there we we just came out with um yeah with the the hebrew phrase od yosef chai on it which means seamus it means uh so Sometimes it's translated as uh, Joseph still lives or Joseph is still alive. Um, but it's a, it's a, one of the many times, many times throughout the, the Vilna Gaon's um, uh, famous Cold work, Hardcore. Cold War, uh, towards the end, he repeats that phrase, Ad Yosef Hai, uh, which Joseph still lives. And that work is largely based on the idea of what Mashiach ben Yosef will be like. Uh, and if you ever get a chance to read the uh, Cole has surprised at uh, it's it's like wow how close he was. Um, I believe the Vilna was actually <laughs> the Vilna. The Vilna is the name of the city. Uh, I believe uh, the Gra was even like asked to denounce Yeshua because like he wrote some things and and everyone was like that you're looking a little sus there my guy like <laughs> they, um, but uh, I, I may be wrong on that. It might be somebody else, but there's been a couple of rabbis throughout history that have like had to kind of clarify. But um, yeah, Yosef Chai, Joseph is still alive. And yeah, if you believe in the resurrection of Yeshua, then Yeshua, son of Joseph, is still alive. Od Yosef Chai. It's uh, so it's a great shirt. Um, we even got Matthew's verse on the back um, with a little preparing the way logo. Um, and so uh, yeah, I need to get a copy of that shirt because that's. I, yeah. I, that's a good that's it my my bio in my discord says ud yosef hi so i actually really like i really like that shirt of that um <laughs> okay so uh we've heard this same song over and over again enough and let's get the regular background music up so tonight's topic is baptism by fire which means we're going to be talking a little bit about the concept of hell and so i for today's background music i chose uppity beat jazz music <laughs> so so you know you know how it is yeah it's very apropos okay so we should have uh, chosen some like hellacious metal or something like that i could play some like really creepy <laughs> ambience like you know <laughs> so uh all right so uh this is a what does it mean series so what does it mean um, and let me grab, uh, let me get the banners going on up here. So first, first and foremost, uh, we actually have to kind of, before we talk about even baptism by fire, like what that really means, we, we sort of have to clarify a number of terms and we're going to start with the term baptism itself. Right. Um, so, so if you want to lead us in the way of, uh, what baptismo means, sir. <laughs> baptism. Baptism, and we've gone over this a number of times in a number of different TikToks, and I think we've, we've even done an episode addressing baptism uh, once before. I don't remember. I feel like we've done an episode dedicated yeah. solely to baptism, but it's a mikvah, right? 
a ritual watching, washing, a, uh, a a purification ritual, right? Um, and this is this is it's it's strictly ceremonial, right? It's not an actual like you know hop in the shower and scrub yourself down kind of thing. It's this is um, this is for the purpose of rendering oneself um, ritually pure, right? For the purposes of approaching God. Yeah, and a, and a baptism generally, like a mikvah, also uh, we covered in our, I, I'm sure we covered it actually because it's coming back, um, represents a change in legal status, um, right. whether that be a conversion. Uh, and, and so like for the example of conversion, in fact, um, you would usually convert into a particular type of Judaism. Um, and that particular type of Judaism has legal authority over you from that conversion point onwards. Um, and so this is why, you know, when you see the phrase get baptized in the name of, uh, like Yeshua, like sometimes you see all three present, like in Matthew 28, 19, other times, like in Acts, you see just the name of Yeshua, um, present. The idea is you're, you're doing a conversion status through the baptism, a change in legal status into the halachic authority of Yeshua, of Yeshua's halacha and halacha is, uh, the Hebrew word for basically law, actually. Torah is not really the best word for, it doesn't really mean law. In, in instruction is a more accurate. Yeah, for, yeah. For Torah. Um, but uh, you will often see, like, if you open up a, a prayer sador, um, there's a section of the Mishnah, and if you read it in English, um, it says, uh, walk not after his ways, read not ways, but read laws. And if you read that in Hebrew, it's, it's playing off of the word ways, Haloch, and it said, read not ways, haloch, read instead halach, and it translates in English as law, which is actually a better representation of what halacha kind of means from the Jewish perspective. It's it's like legal authority. So anyway, um, so baptism is, and it, it can mean something like immersion, which actually is the literal definition, right? It's to be immersed. Um, and that's, that is a, an important difference. Um, that we're going to have to kind of look at when we consider. So we, we tend to think of baptism in the Christian mindset as being like, um, like being baptized in the Holy Spirit, like uh, of just like receiving something. Uh, and so sometimes uh, there have been some misconceptions that the baptism by fire phrase means to receive the Holy Spirit in the form of tongues of fire at the Pentecost event. Uh, I've, I've, I've seen some argue that when Yeshua or, or John the Baptist is using this phrase, that it's a look forward to the Pentecost event, uh, we're going to argue that that's not the case, <laughs> and we're going to get into why. <laughs> so, right? Yeah, um, there are, uh, and and this is so. Yeah, th this is one of those things where the the idea of baptism by fire in in the context that Seamus just explained, um. I've I've even and you can you can look this up on YouTube actually, uh, but like at super charismatic churches, uh, you can look up what's called like a fire pit, right? <laughs> <laughs> as, as dark as that as bad as that sounds, right? Um, but uh, yeah, it's there. The, this is the kind of language that is used a lot at to connote yes, the receiving of the Holy Spirit in any capacity that these uh, believers of this um, walk 
believed to be uh, a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So whether or not it's tongues or uncontrollable laughter or uh, fainting or just uh, convulsing, you know, the, the, these are things that they would, they would equate with being baptized by fire. And uh, so, so there's an easy, like common misconception here, and that's primarily what we're addressing. Um, but it's kind of an easy fix. And so we're also going to talk a little bit uh, about some sort of some of the surrounding context as to why the phrase would be used and kind of the real meaning behind it. So, uh, so th I think the first thing we should honestly do is like baptism uh, um, of the, like a, like a water baptism. We know what that means. A spiritual baptism. We know what that means. Like to be immersed in the spirit to, to, to be, and that's fine. This is, this is fine. It's not synonymous with baptism by fire. So baptism by fire is. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, uh, before we get too deep into that, one of my favorite like examples is the more colloquial, you know, uh, more commonly understood example of, you know, um, initiation uh, through mm, hardship. I, I guess will be that, which is actually a little closer to to the the legitimate uh, interpretation. Yeah. So I used to be a broadband technician uh, for a particular uh, cable company, <laughs> and uh, now this 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 company was awesome because they would pay you while they were teaching you how to do it. Like so, they'd put you through roughly six months worth of schooling. Um, before actually letting you out into the field. And then after you'd finished the schooling, you were supposed to go and shadow an experienced technician for a full month before going out on your own. The problem is the year that I got hired by this company uh, and right around the ending of my schooling, um, and I say right around because part of my schooling had to be postponed until later because there was a sudden a very sudden need for technicians in the field. And so they pulled a lot of us out of like the final phase of our schooling and uh, sent us into the field to go and do cable work. And we've not like, we hadn't finished the schooling. We had not shadowed an actual experienced technician. And so it was like baptism by fire, right? We got initiated into the cable game as completely green technicians. <laughs> yeah. And, and we say this phrase all the time in the military too, when you're like, you go through boot camp is like a baptism by fire, you know, like it's just, you sit there and you suffer, but it builds discipline it builds experience. You know, it's a, it's a, we're going to come back to this word. It's a cleansing, if you will. Right. <laughs> um, and so the, the, uh, one of the primary verses used, right. Uh, that we see baptism by fire is actually from Luke 12, 49 and 50. Um, I'm going to read uh, this version here. This is actually uh, already kind of translated by uh, Mr. D. Thomas Lancaster um, in his uh, commentary called The Chronicles of Messiah. Um, I have come to send fire on the earth, and how I wish that were already burning. I have, I have to be immersed in a certain immersion, and how distressed I am until it is complete. So this is actually a great example of the actual meaning of what a baptism by fire is, as, as you just kind of explained, there's sort of like this suffering period. Um, now it's a 
fairly difficult text to understand. Uh, and, and funny enough, the KJV is actually a better translation in this case. It's a little bit more literal. Um, but because of that, it's also far more cryptic, actually. It's a little harder to read. Um, but uh, basically, let's see here. Get the... Uh, go, we'll go instead to uh, Matthew 3. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Uh, Matthew 3.11. Um, so as they've, uh, we've already discussed here, I'll just read a little bit. The fire does not predict, predict the tongues of fire that came upon the believers at Pentecost. Instead, John is talking about a fire of judgment. Uh, the arrival of the Messianic king and the establishment of his kingdom have two different implications. For those who have already entered the kingdom, he brings a baptism of the Spirit. For those who have turned away from Torah and refused to repent, he brings a baptism of fiery wrath. Uh, apocalyptic, apocalyptic cataclysm and certain judgment lie in store for the wicked. The prophet Malachi said, Who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire. That's Malachi 3.2. And there's a, there's a ton of verses out of like Isaiah that have this sort of word play uh, of being like put through the crucible, um, the refinement fire kind of thing. Um, so to go back to Luke real quick, uh, to kind of going to kind of list like what each phrase is and what it means. Send fire on the earth is the impending judgment at the hands of Rome, particularly uh, with the fall of the second temple. Baptism to baptize. That's actually the literal rendering, uh, which is why it reads really cryptic. Um, the baptism to baptize. Really weird. And and what uh, D. Thomas Lancaster has put here is the impending judgment at the hand of Rome via his crucifixion. So this is his particular baptism um, of, by fire that he's has to go through. The fire already kindled means the judgment is already in motion. Um which is which it was it was within 40 years <laughs> uh and then uh until it be accomplished until the judgment is passed uh and that is the redemption and the resurrection so the meaning is the master came to refine the nation with judgment first by passing it through it himself uh, but he lamented the process and was eager for the redemption um so we're, and the reason like, like this is this kind of distinction actually is, is important is because um, when we talk about the afterlife, right, which is Yeshua spent a lot of time talking about the kingdom, right, the the resurrection, the the, the kingdom to come, um, and there's there's all sorts of phrases that indicate you know that there is a a sorting of sorts where people are thrown into the fire, and those who are not. Uh, reap the benefits of being in olam haba the king the kingdom to come and um you know the that essentially the baptism by fire is that it's it's the the judgment aspect it's the part that you don't want <laughs> right. um it's the part yeshua didn't even want that he but he went through it himself um and, and in, one, in some ways you could say that because he, he went through a judgment himself and it was unmerited uh like he didn't deserve that punishment um he has earned his way to be the judge because he went through it right rule of thumb like military you can't waterboard someone until you've been waterboarded and nine out of ten people who have been waterboarded refuse to waterboard other people right once they've been put through it they're like yeah that sucks like i wouldn't even put my enemy through it like <laughs> um, so it's kind of like one of those things where you know yeshua 
tasted it and 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 so now he's allowed to dish it out and we know that he's a merciful person so um yeah got anything to add to that <laughs> no, no 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 you're doing just fine carry it <laughs> man my back hurts <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I mean, it's a it's a simple topic. There's not a whole lot, um, but it's a common misconception. Um, right. And so, the baptism by fire is a reference to the impending judgment. Now, um, what comes after the baptism by fire? That's where we're going to get into a little bit more complicated stuff. Because I mean, there's there's your answer if you're looking for like a quick like twenty minute video done. Uh, baptism yeah. by fire means judgment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, and one you know one might even say specifically uh, a reference to Gehenna, right? Um, <laughs> you wouldn't and, say that. And, and this is this is where we'll get into this, and this is where I can contribute a little bit more um, <laughs> to this discussion. Uh, is is yeah, th- this is where we get into the whole. Okay, well, is hell eternal? Is hell not eternal? Um, yeah, the, the idea of an eternal hell is something that developed uh, later with Christianity, as I understand it. It's it's not it, it, it's not necessarily uh, something that has a historical basis in Jewish thought. Um, it's uh, at least as far back as we as we know, and we discussed this on other episodes. Um, particularly, I think we even uh, mentioned this briefly on our um log bomber video well so yeah we did a satan and hell episode but we also touched on it with lag bomber because uh we did yep you know we uh we told the the story of uh rabbi name is escaping me right now and it, that's bugging me a laser um, uh no. kiva no 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 the the circle maker um Founder, founder of Kabbalah, pretty much. <laughs> oh, whoa, whoa. Uh, uh, oh, I, uh, I, why? I know the name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, uh, <laughs> we mentioned it in the video, but uh, yeah, it's uh, they, 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 and in that we we briefly mentioned in telling their story uh, how they noted even in their time, which would have been what second, third century, roughly. Um that uh, Gehenna is a temporary place, right? People only spend 11 months there. No, oh. so I, Isaac Luria, right. So we got a comment, alternate kids uh, trying to answer. Shimon Bar Yochai. That, Bar Yochai, that's yes. the name. That's the name. The writer right. of the Zohar. <laughs> so Isaac Luria is the founder of Lurianic Kabbalah. Yeah, that's that, 16th uh, century. That's yeah, contemporary that, Kabbalah. Yep. Um, yep yep uh but anyway yeah it's 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 mentioned in that story uh that people only spend uh, i think a max of 12 uh 12 less one uh months in Gehenna. so uh, even as far as just a hundred or so years after the time of jesus we have record of Gehenna being uh recorded as not an eternal place in Jewish thought. Yeah. So there's a, there's a couple of misconceptions about Gehenna. So the first one is, uh, and we hear this one a lot that Gehenna was a, uh, the Valley of Hinnom. All right. So far, so good. 
that it was a dumpster fire, like a literal burning trash pit perpetually. No archaeological evidence for that. Completely made up. And in fact, the first time we hear of that story as a commentary to what Gehenna is, is in like the 14th century. So completely made up. There's no, there's nothing to back that. That's uh that's one of those like eye of the, uh, like the camel fitting through an eye of a needle. And people were like, well, that's a gate. No, it's not. That's made up also. <laughs> um, but uh, so Gehenna, the, the Valley of Hinnom is a real thing. It did exist. Um, but but, you know, before we can really talk about what Gehenna is, just uh, we kind of have to go a little bit over, like, what is the worst case scenario for the ancient mind? And we got to remember, in the first century, there is a there is an obsession with being in a clean status, being right. whole, right? Uh, and so they were extra careful with the food that they ate so as not to render themselves unclean in any way. Um, and unclean as in like koino, not unclean as in akatharton, which is like unkosher. Uh, uh, koina is like common or unclean. Um, it's a different type of uncleanness, but they were very obsessed with it. And so the, uh, the worst case scenario, like the biggest threat that you could threaten a person with in this time period was to tell them that they would forever, that their body would forever rot in a valley of unholiness. Um, and that was your fate. That was your doom. Um, and and that, that was quite a threatening thing. It might not sound like, well, to us in the Western mind, we're like, well, I'm dead. What do I care? Uh, but to them, that was like, that's a really bad thing. Uh, they don't want that. It's the worst case scenario. Um, and the Valley of Hinnom is mentioned in Jeremiah uh, and a few other places, I think in, in Kings as well, as a, as a valley that is, you know, uh, it is a valley near Jerusalem, in the Jerusalem area. Um, it sits within view of the temple, kind of. Um, but it's a valley where uh, Molech and child sacrifice was performed really regularly. So yeah. it is an unholy valley. It's a valley of uh, like no one goes there. There's, there's, there's no making it holy again um, in, in the ancient Jewish mind. It was just a, a, a very dark and unholy place. <laughs> it's just fascinating when you think about that, right? Because it, it would make sense, right, for uh for for every extreme there's an equal opposite extreme right so if there is a place as holy as the temple mount right right why wouldn't there be a place as unholy as as uh this place <laughs> exactly and um i got it here um here we go so this is uh from uh bart ehrman's book heaven and hell a brief history of the afterlife now I don't agree with a lot of things that are in this book. He's got a few good points that are true. Um, but it, you know, this, uh, he is not coming from the Jewish standpoint. So some of the things that he has to say when it comes to certain, um, aspects of the philosophy of the afterlife, he's not exactly right on. Um, but I've picked a few of the things that he did absolutely get right. And so here's a couple of them. Um, in many ways, this is from page 158. For those of you who wonder in many ways, this desecrated Valley represented the polar opposite you just said that um of what was on the heights right above it the temple of god dedicated to yodhe and vavhe where god himself was believed to dwell in the holy of holies gehenna by contrast was the place of unfathomable cruelty and nefarious practices connected with pagan divine a pagan divine enemy of the god of israel literally an unholy blasphemous place um, so 
and it absolutely, I mean, really captures, I think, uh, like the, the real, uh, of like this, this place, it's not a dumpster fire, but it's definitely a place like there's a reason it was unsettled. Nobody went there. Um, it was just a forever cursed place. And so it was always used in a poetic way to represent a, the place that you went, if you weren't a righteous person in your lifetime, um, you would dwell in the Valley of Hinnom. Eventually, uh, in, in later, um, like Shimon Bar Yochai, like in the Zohar, Gehenim is the name of one of the circles um, of, um, of uh, I can't remember, it's not, not the afterlife, not hell, um, but there's, there's circles. There's like Sheol and Gehenna is one, is one of the circles. I have to, I have to look it up or, oh. but yeah, we, we briefly mentioned this. Uh, and it's not like important now, but uh, anyway, so all that to say, um, you would go there to die basically an unholy death. It's, 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 it's that's the worst case scenario. That is in the ancient mind, the absolute worst. Um, it's unbearable. So when Yeshua uses this as imagery, it's very shocking to the people um, where it doesn't really resonate with us in the same way because our thought process now is, well, I'm dead. What do I care? That was not the thought process for them. Yeah, there's a reason why they called uh, death sleep in the ancient of days. Um, they really viewed it as sleep, like that, you're, that there was something within you still in that, uh, in that body. And so there was a sense of suffering if you weren't buried properly or in time or in an unholy place, um, things like that. So th this was a worst case scenario in the, in, in the ancient mindset. Yeah, there are even, um, there are even particular uh, numbers of days, at least for the first year, as I understand it, that you are supposed to uh, wait to visit a grave on after somebody's been buried, you know, um, you, you wait, uh, you know, seven days. And then uh, there's, you know, there's, there's, there's various numbers of days towards visiting the grave. Uh, I had a discussion with a Jewish friend um, just last night, actually, uh, who <clears throat> his, the one, one of the particular days that he was there to visit uh, his father's grave happened to coincide with another, another couple who was there for their like seventh day uh, visiting uh a, a relative's grave and they were completely unaware of the traditional prayers and whatnot to, to say over, uh, over the grave. And so it, it just worked out that, that he was there, uh, so that he could guide them through it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, now when we talk about like, what is the ancient, what is the ancient view of Gehenna? Right. So, it, it represents the afterlife, absolutely. But what do the ancient people believe? Now, this is where you get into annihilism versus eternal torment. Um, and this is the part that's probably, you know, whether or not you believe in annihilism or eternal torment, um, you know, that's your theological opinion, and that's fine. We're not telling you what you, sh what you should believe or what to believe. Um, but Question for the philosophers. <laughs> but historically speaking... In the first century, Gehenna was viewed as a place of annihilation. The first century Jews were annihilationists. They were not eternal punishment believers, um, at least by m uh, the majority of the scholarly opinion anyway. There's uh, a couple of 
opinions that seem to indicate an eternal punishment, but by all accounts, the long and short of it is um, things like, you know, the fire that burns eternally. Uh, well, the fire burns eternally, not the soul within it. Um, and that's that's kind of like the best explanation for when we see phrases like that that seem a little out of place for what we know that the uh, the first century believers did believe. Um, and so um, to, to, just to answer that question, I have it uh, here real quick. Um, and this is uh, once again from uh, his book, Bart Ehrman's uh, Heaven and Hell, a, a History of the Afterlife, page 165. <clears throat> but how could death be an eternal punishment? It is certainly the ultimate punishment, just as death a death sentence is the ultimate punishment for criminals still in some civilized count, uh, countries. But why is it eternal? Because it's a punishment that doesn't end. The wicked are destroyed, never to be restored to life. Their deaths cannot be reversed. They suffer an eternal punishment. That is, there is no teshuva in, in this death. Like once you die and, and you're thrown into the fire, your, your chance to repent is that's it. Uh, you've died and that's the eternality of the punishment. The, the suffering is not eternal. It's the punishment itself is the eternal bit. Yeah. Like there's, there's no coming back from that. You, yeah, you're gone forever. That's the eternality of it. <laughs> now where we see like the weeping and gnashing of teeth, that is mourning. Um, like, like mourning. So during the Alam Haba or during the thousand year reign, right? The millennial reign. Um, the idea is that you have the kingdom and everyone who got in, got in. And it's a good, it's a good day. It's a great day. Uh, everyone who didn't get in, there's a, res there's a resurrection of the dead for everybody. And those who didn't get in are on the outside. And from where they can see, they're probably in the Valley of Gehenna. Uh, and they're weeping because they can see they can see God's presence. They can see the lovely, uh, the, the bliss, but they cannot take any part in it. Uh, and it's, and it's emotionally, um, detrimental. It, that's the weeping and gnashing of teeth is a weeping. It's a, it's a mourning. It's not a suffering it's mourning. Um, and so the idea is because they've been separated and severed from God and there's nothing they can do about it. They mourn for that thousand years. Uh, and then they're thrown eventually into the fire that doesn't go out where their souls are completely annihilated. That is the view that is the most consistent with our current scholarship and up-to-date evidence on what the first century Israelites believed. Um, you know, whether, whether you like it or not, uh, and again, we're not telling you what to believe as a theologian. Uh, there's certainly a case can be made for like an eternal torment. Um, sure. But we're not trying to be theologians here. We're trying to just give you the historically accurate information. And whether that changes your theology or not, as entirely dependent on you. Um, and then, yeah, once again, uh, just to reiterate, um, the fire is eternal, not the sinner's soul within it. Uh, and he put that here. That's from Matthew 25, 41. Um, so when, uh, when we see this baptism by fire now, and here's, here's, here's why this kind of coincides with the Gehenna, right? We started this podcast and we opened up with, what does a baptism do? Do you remember our answer? There's, we had two answers. That it purifies. It purifies. It cleanses you. So the modern Jewish understanding is that you stay in Gehenna for no longer than 11 months. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it's a cleansing process. 
so you can either be baptized by the Spirit and get entrance into uh, the paradise immediately, or you get baptized by fire, and the idea is you still get entrance into the uh, into the Alam Haba, but you had to go through a cleansing process to get there. Uh, and instead of the water cleansing, it's the fire cleansing. It's sort of this warning. Uh, and so that's the more modern Jewish uh, understanding of the way that it works. Um, I don't believe modern Judaism is a nihilist. I think it's, it's sort of that everyone just goes through a cleansing process. Um, and depending on how, like if you were a believer in God and you were a good person, your cleansing process is like that. Um, but if you weren't, then your cleansing process takes longer for no more than 11 months. I've also heard it said that that 11 months feels like an eternity to you because it's a long time. Right. Uh, so there's a case that can be made that it, it really is like a really, really long time. But in our timeline, in our dimension, it's only like 11 months. Um, but from their dimension, it just feels like it never stops. Um, um, well, but and this is, this is something, and I understand exactly uh, why there was um, thought that this might this might fit into the uh, better call Paul, right? Because first uh, Corinthians three fifteen specifically says, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as though through fire. Hmm. So we, right. There's, 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 there's specific mention. And, and I've, I've heard a number of pastors actually preach sermons on this, right? That there'll be those who get into heaven, but like only barely, like they could, they could still feel the flames and smell the smoke of hell, right? Like (laughs) the way that that's, is the way that, that that's preached. And it's like, all right, now, do they still feel the fame, the flames and smell the smoke because like it was right on their heels? Because that doesn't make sense. It, it would make sense if they had to experience it. And that's why they understand the feeling of the flames and the smell of the smoke. Right. Yeah. So, and, and, and the point we're kind of trying to make is that like the, the modern Jewish view is actually fairly, um, uh, if you read Yeshua in his words um, within this context, they make sense. They 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 still resonate with the modern Jewish understanding of the way that it works. Um, it's worded very very similarly. Uh, it, it's a uh, it's one of those like if you take a red letter Bible, you can basically find every every word that Jesus speaks somewhere in the Talmud. <laughs> um, but. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, who told me that actually a rabbi told me that <laughs> who is not a believer. Um, he was the one who told, told, told me that, but uh, yeah. So, it, you know, it might, again, it might, this is one of those things that might kind of be a hard pill to swallow for a lot of Christians because Christians love talking about the afterlife. They love the idea of an eternal hell and torment that it's, that has saved, that has gotten people to the, to believe the gospel for centuries. It's a tried and true method uh for you know in some cases um but really and it doesn't again it doesn't sound bad the soul's totally annihilated okay well i won't be around to remember it so i don't care if i suffer again in the ancient mindset this is the worst case scenario to have no portion in the world to come to just cease to exist and not eat at the table with abraham isaac and jacob and yeshua uh and just just stop existing like that is the absolute worst case scenario um, so that is a threat. That's a very valid threat, in fact. So, yeah.
got anything to add? <laughs> no, I mean, just, you know, uh, again, this is <clears throat> the idea of hell being either eternal punishment or an, or annihilationism um, or a temporary place, right? It, it's such a philosophical question, and there's so many implications to each position uh, that would tend to contradict uh, certain other foundational goalposts of the position. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the idea of not existing at all, uh, you know, that's that, <laughs> that's that big void that I suppose a lot of atheists believe in when atheists essentially believe in annihilationism, right? That when you die, that's, that, that's it. You just cease to exist. You're gone forever. Um, which is, it's interesting when you think about it, because in their view, the idea is, well, that's not that bad, right? I just won't exist anymore. Not my problem anymore, because I won't exist. Um, and that is, the, even that idea in and of itself is very telling. As a matter of fact, we we had a, a commenter, um, uh, Scott Matuso, uh, who pointed out, and I'll highlight the comment here, right bring it up hashem doesn't want to torture people and and this is true right this is an absolute this is one of the problems that atheists have with christianity and their projection of god right is that you can't tell me that god is love and then in the next breath tell me that god established a system of absolute eternal endless torture for people who don't love him right that those are two contradictory concepts they 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 cannot be reconciled with one another on any philosophical level so if we understand that god doesn't want to torture people then it actually just makes more sense that he like you just stop existing right annihilationism makes sense under those under those pretenses um but additionally, you know, so does the concept of hell being a uh, a temporary place, which is, it's interesting. You might actually win a few more atheists if you preached that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it because and 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 believe it or not, there's more impetus, right? There, there's more impetus to do good and be good if hell is a temporary place than if it's an eternal place. The um and, and, and so uh, one of the questions is does Revelation twenty ten mean that the eternal suffering is only for the Satan the beast and the false prophet? Um, it sure it certainly seems that way. We're talking about uh, spiritual beings. Um, and the thing about Revelation, uh, something that you really have to consider, both John and Revelation are incredibly mystical documents. Yeah. So it's really hard to honestly read anything literally in those documents. Um, to do that document any justice. It's like, it, you can't read the Zohar literally either. Many people that do read the Zohar literally uh, have a lot of problems with it. And it's like, well, you're actually, you, you failed to understand the mysticism that was, it was trying to be pointed to. Um, and this is not me endorsing the Zohar. I don't, I don't fully endorse the Zohar. Uh, I'm not saying that, um, but I'm saying that it is a highly misunderstood document. Um, yes. The Talmud is highly misunderstood. Uh, a lot of people just say things about these things that they've never like. I know you haven't read the Talmud, man. 
it takes seven years just to read the, the full set. And there's no way that you've been a believer for five years and have and read the Talmud and you're like, oh, it's all evil. There's no way. <laughs> to read a mystical document literally is a literal mistake and you can take that to the bank. <laughs> I like that. Um, so, you know, you got to be very careful when reading uh, John and Revelation specifically. Those are two incredibly mystical documents. Um, and, and they're written that way. They're written to be that way. Um, and so it really helps to be first and foremost, this is why I say always read the Bible in the order that it was written. Wait, wait, what you got? Ben. In fact, then he will toss you in hell and you will burn in hell forever and he'll never save ben, you. <laughs> that's just inappropriate. <laughs> Too strong of language for a child. <laughs> Listen here. Oh, he just bar mitzvahed, so uh, it's good. <laughs> Shame on you, Ben. <laughs> um, so, uh, oh, and Shaol, one of the questions. Um, Shaol is not. Um, that is not Gehenna. It is more like a holding place. It's it's sort of like soul sleep. Yeah, some, purgatory. Some call it that. Um, it's like a place of holding and you just kind of, you either sit there and you wait for the judgment in pain or you sit there and you wait for the judgment in, in bliss, Abraham's bosom. That's the way Yeshua seems to put it. Now, just because Yeshua uses that phraseology does not mean that that's what was believed about Sheol at the time. Uh, again, it's a parable and he's trying to draw a point with the parable. Yes. Um, but it's not too far away from what's essentially thought of. Uh, and then Gehenna is just where the soul goes to suffer for 11 months and then either get annihilated or it went through the cleansing process properly and it gets entrance into the alam haba <laughs> burning h e double hobby sticks <laughs> that's it ben you have to go to bed without dinner <laughs> you, you get to you get to eat you get to eat uh, a deep breath for dinner <laughs> um so uh we're at the 45 minute mark which is actually where we want to keep episodes right uh this is, so this is we had a reversal tonight usually usually we have to compress a whole bunch of information into what we attempt just 45 minutes uh and yeah. it usually ends up going about an hour and we still don't get all of it whereas this time we had to take a 20 minute conversation and then stretch it <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh, so now we'll take uh, this time for some uh, questions on the topic um, for a little bit and see uh, what uh, what kind of questions we can uh, we can help answer. Uh, did our music stop? Nope, it didn't. It's still going. Okay. Um, so while we get some, and definitely like throw some questions. Oh, actually, you know what? Never mind. We do have one more topic to cover. The apocalyptic style. That's where I was going with my monologue. Ah. Uh. Revelation is apocalyptic literature. Excuse me. Stay down, beer. You good? And, um, you all right? Yeah, I'm good. It's just uh, you know, it it tasted better the first time. Ah, yeah, gross. Uh, gross. <laughs> uh, apocalyptic literature is 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 meant to be kind of shocking. Again, Yeshua uses very shocking language to basically tell people, "Hey, listen, man." Um, Repent for the kingdom is at hand. That was his message. That's his message in Matthew 1, Mark 1. Repent for the kingdom is at hand. And repentance doesn't just mean, oh, uh, I'm going to start loving God now with, with my heart and soul. 
it means heart, soul, and resources. That's the Shema with, with your being. And this implies a turning and, and returning back to Torah in an act of obedience. Um, now, let me be clear. This is not works-based salvation. I'm not saying that you earn your way into heaven with uh, works. Um, but you are expected to be a good person and you will absolutely pay for your intentional sins in some way, uh, whether that judgment being a stern look from Yeshua himself, like, you know what you did, <laughs> or you go through Gehenna, um, you know, <laughs> like the, the last uh, Christians say this all the time. You know, the one thing you want to hear at the end of your life is well done, my good and faithful servant. Yep. Can you imagine just trusting that he's going to let you in no matter how you live. And instead what you hear at the end of your life is I'm disappointed in you. You could have done better. And so for us, that's the shocking language for them. The shocking language was the kingdom is coming and apocalyptic style. It's written in such a way that it sounds like the kingdom is like literally about to happen. That's the apocalyptic style. Um, like, Hey, kingdoms, it's happening. It's, it's right around the corner and you need to get your act straight. Like if you repent now, you'll be saved from the baptism of fire. Ooh. If you don't, then you're probably going to go through the baptism of fire. You might still get in. You might not. <clears throat> Do you want to chance it? Repent for the kingdom is at hand. That, that, that's, the, that's the apocalyptic style. And then to embellish, uh, the apocalyptic style also has massive uh, flips, opposites. The first shall be last. The last shall be first. Uh, that's apocalyptic style. That's that's these really stark contrasts. You know, those will be thrown into the fire of Gehenna. That's a really bad place. You don't want to be there. The others will be entered into the kingdom. That's a really good place. These are really stark. This idea is opposites and massive contrasts. It's to shock you. It's to kind of wake you back up and realize that you need to kind of change for the better. That's the apocalyptic style. And so when we use the phrase that Jesus was an apocalyptic preacher, that's what we mean by that. He, he used strong language to prove a point. Yep. We did get a good question, though. Go ahead. Uh, repentance only for Israel? How can you turn back to something that you never had previously? Ooh, that's a good question. Very good question. It's a very good there, question. There, I think, is more than one answer to this. Uh, and that is that... Ultimately, all of the human family is one human family, right? It started with Adam, or you could even say it started with Noah. Uh, so everybody has something to turn back to. Now, when it comes to the covenant with Israel and they're being given the Torah, you know, explicitly them given the Torah, uh, there is a Midrash in particular about this, where the Torah actually was offered to all of the nations. Yep. Every single one of the nations had the Torah offered to them. None of them accepted it, right? It was kind of a thanks but no thanks uh, yeah. kind of attitude. And this is why you have such people as uh, Balaam, or Balaam, as many will know him. He was, <laughs> no. he was a prophet. He was a prophet of Hashem, just not a prophet to Israel. He was a, he, he, he was a prophet to the nations, right? He knew the divine name. He knew the covenant name, right? Um, so ultimately, uh, you could say that what repentance is for those outside of Israel is to turn back to that initial offer and accept it. 
Yes. And, and, uh, there's also another midrash where a convert, uh, a convert's soul stood at the base of Mount Sinai. And so the idea is when you convert, uh, you essentially time travel where your soul time travels, right? This is a midrash, so it's not a literal time travel, but your current act of repentance uh, changes the past and affects your future. And God's timeless, so he can do this. So when you repent, uh, and that is when you, and, and it usually means to turn back, but you can also just read it as to turn. Um, and so to turn to God um, and, and to be baptized, right, like in the name of Yeshua, let's, let's say, because that, that represents a change in legal status to fall underneath his halacha. Um, that act of conversion puts your soul at the base of Mount Sinai. And so now you're, you're part of the covenant. You've accepted it. You've, you've put it on your shoulders and you, and you will uh, bear the name of God. You, you will, and you know, be part of the, the greater family. You'll be grafted into the family of Israel. Um, so so uh, there, there's a follow-up here and I like this question. I like the way that they're thinking. Right. If you didn't accept something, did you ever have it? Well, no, you you never had it if you didn't accept it, but that's not what's being accepted. What what's being accepted is not is is not what you re, what was rejected. Right? What you're going back to, right? Because Teshuva, right? Repentance, to turn back, to go back, right? Is the initial offer. Because that's the offer for everybody, right? The offer for everybody at the end of the day is to follow in the ways of Hashem or don't. And so everybody has the opportunity to turn back to that initial offer. The, uh, the rabbis once said, all things are in the hands of heaven except for the fear of heaven. That's, that's one of Moshe's favorites, man. I love that saying. It's a good one. Um, but that, that is to say that everyone has the choice and it doesn't necessarily have to be Torah, right? We say this all the time. Like, we're not saying that you have to like suddenly start keeping Torah, but where else are you going to learn about God in, in the Torah? Um, but at the minimum, you know, you turn your heart towards heaven, towards God, towards Hashem. Um, and whether or not that means you become Torah observant or not, that's, that's neither here nor there. You know, the, um, there, there are generations of saved individuals who've never abided by the Torah. It's totally fine. It's not a workspace salvation once again. Um, but, uh, you know, we're just saying that there is a, um, you know, like you have to, you're, you're eventually going to have to read it. Uh, and, and, and at the time, especially in the first century, there was an expectation for you to live by, if you, if you had true faith in God, you would live by the commandments of God. You would live obedient to him. Yep. So to live outside of the commandments, to not obey the commandments as laid out in the Torah is a sign that you actually don't have faith in God. Because if you truly believe that God existed, then you would keep his commandments. But if you're like, well, I believe God exists and I believe he saved me. Well, James would say, okay, show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works. Like that, that's the idea. Like, do you really believe in God? Because you live like you don't. <laughs> so that is, that, that is essentially, that that's a good answer to this question, right? We have... Uh, we've, we've addressed this before. And I think I even read a portion out of the, uh, the book from, uh, Jacob Franzak, um, rethinking the five soli where he points out, right? Because Christianity is really big on by faith alone, uh, except that those words never appear in the new Testament, except for once. And it's James 
who is saying that a man is not saved by faith alone. Yes, the right? only time it specifically it's says these words. <laughs> and it's the only time that the words by faith alone appear in the New Testament, right? And the reason is because how do you write this? And again, this is a question for the philosophers. This is something you actually have to sit and ponder and think about and turn over in your head uh, to really comprehend. But how do you know that you have faith, right? How how do you know that you you love your spouse? Better yet, how does your spouse know that you love them? <laughs> right? And that's why your spouse, your spouse determines whether or not you love them based on what? What you do. Your actions, what you do. That's what they use as a metric to determine whether or not you love them, right? Simply having the love is is not enough because it doesn't find manifestation. It doesn't take embodiment. It doesn't become real until it takes a physical form, right? And so that that's that's where this is, right? It's it's not your faith that's being judged. What is being judged is whether or not you had faith, and how is that judged? by your works. Yeah. Right. Whether it, 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 it's not your faith that's being judged, it's whether or not you had faith and that is determined by your works. Because the, the word faith in Hebrew, imuna, it's a verb. It's an action. It is an action. So you, uh, it's the same, it's the exact same word when Moses and the Israelites are fighting the Amalekites. And Moses' staff is raised, and as long as his staff is raised, they're winning. And when Moses' hand would falter, the Israelites would start losing. And so it says, as long as Moses' hand remained emuna, steadfast, the Israelites were winning. It's exactly the word, it, it's, it, uh, it, it's, it's emuna, it's the word faith in verb form. It's, it's, that's, that's it. And so faithful is to is to endure it's it is an action is something that you do and it's a provable thing it's something that you can see being done um we live in the world of action <laughs> as the tanya would put it uh so it's the the only way to prove that you have any faith at all um is is by some sort of action even if that action is you saying to yourself i believe in god that's still an action you're still doing something uh, we we don't live in the world of emanation we live in the world of action this, this is a good question. I have had numerous conversations surrounding what's at the core of this question um, <laughs> with, with a few Jewish friends. And I have thoroughly loved the answers that I've gotten because of the implications that they have, right? So uh, in one conversation, right, uh, the question of birthdays comes up, right? Because, uh, you know, when, when you convert to Judaism, right, it's accepted that you're not the same person, except that, like, you are, though, like, biologically, it's a physical reality, right? It can't be denied. But the old you died. Right. And so, so the idea here, actually, is that the mikvah, Right. The, 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 the mikvah of the conversion is for the body, not the soul, because what's understood is that you don't receive a Jewish soul upon conversion. The, the idea is that the Jewish soul has literally always been there. The body has now just caught up to the soul. Yeah, that's that's the 
the idea. It's not like a literal, you don't have to take it literally to say that, well, the only ones who convert had Jewish souls to begin with. The, the idea of the Jewish soul is the Neshama, the divine soul. Yeah, it's the divine right. soul. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the Hasidim uh, usually talk about it as a Jewish soul, um, but we would refer to it as the Neshama, uh, the godly soul. Now, under, understand the implications of this, because the implications are that, that Judaism acknowledges that there are Gentiles who are out there, right? What they would consider Gentiles who are born with a Jewish soul. And their belief, what, what, what they understand is that those people will ultimately find their way to Judaism and convert back, right? So the body will be caught up with where the soul has always been, right? So, you know, and I asked the question once, okay, so what, like, what would happen, right? Or, or, or is it possible uh, that, that maybe the end of all things comes, uh, Mashiach return or Mashiach comes, you know, returns, depending on your, your vantage point and what you believe. Uh, but basically, uh, the son of David comes and, you know, we enter the messianic reign and Olam Haba, what have you. Um, and s some of these souls have not converted, right? Because that would essentially be where we find ourselves. That would be, that would be us, right? Um, and the, the answer was just that, well, I, you know, that they don't think that that's a possibility, that their understanding is that all Jewish souls will ultimately, um, make conversion before the end of all things. Um, but this beg, yeah. th that, that, that begs the question as to what, you know, what, what qualifies as conversion, um, <laughs> You Which know, is not tonight's topic. It's not tonight's topic. <laughs> We're not going to get into that. But but I love the question because I love the implications of the thought on it. But so, yes, ultimately understand Judaism does acknowledge that there are Jewish souls out there in the Gentile world that have yet to convert back to Judaism. All right. So we've hit an hour. Uh, so I think we should start wrapping it up. Yep. Uh, once again, uh, thanks for sticking around. Uh, if you haven't already, like and subscribe. Uh, well, bless the subscribe button, or bless the like button, and in nomine patri et fili et spiritu sancti, the subscribe button. Um, I love never that. getting rid of that. Uh, <laughs> uh, and if you are a Patreon uh, member, if you are a fellow heretic, a subscribing heretic uh, to the Patreon, we are having the after part as in the Discord immediately after the show. You get to 1v1 us. You get to talk to us, chill out, hang out, um, ask us a question, or sit with us in awkward silence. Whatever you want to do, that's your time. Uh, we usually chill out in there for at least an hour or so. Uh, and so that's your chance to like kind of chill out. Sometimes we just end up talking about nothing and chilling out and like hanging out with our peeps. We have yep. the greatest community. They're, they're the best. Um, yes, we've made some Always. really good friends along the way here. So, uh, so yeah, if you want to be part of that, uh, Patreon membership starts at a dollar a month. Um, um, and, uh, and that gives you all access to some of the Patreon exclusive content, as well as the discord permissions, such as the after part is post show. Uh, if you're not in the discord already, whether you're a Patreon or not join the discord anyway, because we're in there all the time. Um, and, uh, you can ask questions, give suggestions for future videos. Uh, in fact, this video was a question from a Patreon. Um, and so, yeah, uh, that being said, I think, I think that's everything. I think it's going to cover it for us. Yeah. 
Yeah. Sure. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, we had one more good question asked, but I'm I'm gonna say let's save that for the after part, as um, because it is it's it's a really good question. So, uh, yeah, if you're if you're if you're not a patron supporter, it's always a good idea to become one because you can join us in the after part, as uh, where we will be discussing this uh, question here, and <laughs> it is a good one, I promise. So. Uh, we definitely hope that you enjoyed tonight. We hope that all of you learned something from it. And uh, as always, l'chaim. L'chaim.